in Christ's love to your fellow redeemed. What if I were to, what if I were to tell you that on this coming Friday night, you and one guest of your choice will join me and my wife at the governor's mansion here in Austin, and he will have some dignitaries from our Congress there, a few people from his cabinet, and we're all going to have a huge dinner together at his place this coming Friday night. What would you be thinking about with that coming up? Some of you would be thinking, what am I going to wear, right? What am I going to wear? What's the attire? Well, it's got to be formal, right? So you'd ask me, is it formal? Oh, yeah, it's formal. Then your next thought might be, uh, do I have formal enough to fit that occasion in my closet, right? That's the way you'd think because you're not just going to your, your friend's house to watch a football game, right? You're going to the governor's mansion. Well, it's that feeling that, that it provokes in us when we think about on earth going to a governor's house. It's that feeling that Paul is trying to help us spiritually have by telling us, don't forget, your life is headed towards seeing God. Don't forget that. And at Advent, that is one of the big points of the season of the church here. God came to earth before in baby Jesus, but he's coming again. And that's when all time ends and we all need to be ready. And both Advents are leading up to Christmas. So today, uh, a reading for churches all over the world of many different stripes for the epistle reading, the letter reading is Romans chapter 13 that we have in front of us. So we're joining many Christians all over the world by looking at this passage during the first Sunday of Advent this year. And it's, and it's Romans 13. You, when you hear Romans 13, if you're a Bible student, you may often think about, oh, that's the, that's the chapter about how Christians should uh, obey the government. But actually, this is the, these are the last verses of the chapter as Paul moves on to this new subject. And what he's doing for the Romans, and think about, think about what you've heard over history about the Roman Empire and how affluent it was and how wayward it was and how finally its final demise was moral decay from within that, made, that kind of destroyed the, the whole country, which was all over the world. And Paul's writing to the church in Rome, the Christians, who live in Roman society, but they're the Christians. They're the ones that have been called out from the world, and they know that their Lord Jesus is coming back and that we're going to meet God in person, all of us. And this is Paul talking to people like you and me that are Christians who are part of a society, but we're not of the society. We are of the kingdom of God. And let God speak to you from these passages. So I'll read the, the first section. This next section is just one more verse. And do this. Understanding the present time. Well, what, what is the present time? Here it is. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Sometimes the word salvation is used for Christ dying on the cross and that message coming to us. But here is a place where it's used for the final salvation of you getting saved out of this place. 
you get beamed up into the world or the end of your life. So your salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is already over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, using that metaphor, and put on the armor of light. That's like taking some clothes off and putting some on. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Three different couples of words come, and I'll talk about them in a minute. Not in carousing and drunkenness, that's one set. Not, uh, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, that's another set. And not in dissension and jealousy. Paul is getting us to think, and in case we're not thinking clearly, he spells it out. He says, you're going to be facing God soon. You're getting older, and the end of the world's getting closer for everyone. Don't forget that, Christians. You need to be ready. And he says, I want you to be introspective. I want you to think about this. You're going to be before God. So get rid of, in your life, get rid of the deeds of darkness. So the question you could ask is, why is he telling Christians this? I mean, isn't this, doesn't this sound like this list is for the world? I mean, these are the things that, that the world does. They champion them, right? Why is he telling Christians this? Because we're affected, right? Every person here has two natures. If you're a believer, you have a sinful, fleshly nature you were born with. And the second nature, which is much more beautiful, is you have a nature from God that you were born again with when the Holy Spirit converted your heart. You have a new spiritual nature. And with your old nature and your new nature, you are often caught following your old natural bent. And the world has nothing but that to offer. And it's very creative. And they, they, they beg you into it with all kinds of philosophies. Everyday philosophies that are very attractive to you. So here they are. Here's, here's a list. It's not a complete list, but for Paul, led by the Spirit as a pastor of his people, it was a list that was appropriate for their day. But you'll see in the list, it's appropriate for us too. It's good for us to hear it. As God's people, let God say to us today, if I want you ready to come to my banquet at my house, I want you to dress spiritually starting right now appropriately. And he says, with three couplets, here's some things I want to talk to you about. So let me just talk through them with you. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Now here's the deal. I have heard both unbelievers and Christians say, I live to party. I don't think they mean birthday cake. I think they mean Friday, Saturday night, and maybe one other night during the week to have a few too many to drink or maybe even try some other things. And I think they mean life is more fun when you're out at the nightclub than it is when you're in the day club, which usually means work right? and responsibility. And the world is all too ready to tell you that's the meaning of life. That's the meaning of a business trip. That's the meaning of so many things, right? Carousing and drunkenness. That's, that's exactly what he's talking about. Every Christian here, and especially our young people, there's some of you are back, you haven't quite left to go back to college. You need to hear this while you're away at college. 
You're near standing before God. He goes with you everywhere, but you're going to stand before him. And he's saying, don't put those clothes on. And it's hard to avoid that because there's a lot of pressure and it's fun. And God says, I didn't make you to be that. I did make you to have fun. And there is a way to have clean fun. And there is a way to relax. And you can be with your friends, but not in, not in, celebrating substance abuse to lose your mind chemically at any level. God says to you today, he's speaking to you in his word, don't do that. Get ready. I want you to live a life where you're, you've got your head about you all the time. Secondly, he talks about sexual immorality and debauchery. Another translation for the Greek word that they translated here, debauchery, is lewdness. Not not in sexual immorality or lewdness. We are under a media assault for relative, just everything is relative in the world of purity, moral purity. Um, I, it, was, it was at least, whenever Steve Prawl was our vicar, it was at least 20 years ago, probably, standing in the hallway with his father. And I said, you know, 15 years ago at that time, when I started in the ministry, it seemed like everybody that came to get married understood that you didn't do mar married couple things like live together and sleep together until you got married. But now it's like 80% are already doing that. And this is what he said, very, very matter of fact. He said, that's 10 years of watching Friends, that show. Now, I think that's maybe overstatement about one particular show, but it's Friends and Hallmark and Lifetime and Desperate Housewives and Fifty Shades of Grey, and all the thousands of others media that we take in, whether it's on the big screen, the little screen, or the telephone, we, we are taught that morality in this area is up to the way we feel or think, all the way to the point where now society that we live in says, you don't go by biology, you go by your feelings on whether or not you even know your gender. It is an assault. It is a media attack from the devil, the world, and our own flesh. And it's all part of what we all deal with in the, the scriptures, if we're God's people. We believe the Bible. It's, it's spiritually alive, living, and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the, down to the soul and the spirit and dividing them. It reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's a quote from the Bible. We believe the Bible. The Bible is clear. Sex for marriage for sex. Everything else is impurity. That's it. There's no discussion. But it's not cruel that there's no discussion. It's actually a guidance. It's a freedom. It's a like, okay, now I know what I'm up against if I've got temptations, and now I know what the truth is and what my target is, what my goal is, right? And that's what Paul is saying is God says, I want you to wear the clothes of moral purity. I don't want you to be someone who's into anything outside of sex in your marriage. And just, I haven't even touched on, and I won't let pass just saying it, everything that you can look at on your phone in any kind of media, which is really a hundred, a thousand times more than what's happening in all the other places that I just mentioned as far as form of media. God wants us to not wear those clothes. The next one is dissension and jealousy. What a huge thing that we all are dealing with, and that is relationship stresses. Some of them, we know very consciously they're starting within. We have jealousy and envy of 
siblings, of parents, of friends, of enemies, of coworkers, of whatever, people on the screen, right? It doesn't, we just, we struggle with jealousy and we struggle to get along. The simple idea that yes, day to day, we are going to bump into each other and hurt each other, but there's always a solution. It's through confront, confronting, apologizing, and forgiving. And that we don't have to hide or lie or defend or blame, but we can resolve everything. There is nothing we can't resolve because we are who? We are God's people. We're not just left with the equipment of our own reason, but we have the gospel of love and forgiveness that says, yeah, you hurt me, but I'm going to forgive you for Jesus' sake, right? And so when God looks down and he sees us fighting and bickering and separating and moving away from each other, what I mean is cutting each other out of our lives and, and isolating ourselves, that's dirty clothes. That's what he's saying. Those are the deeds of darkness. And they can feel so right because they allow you to keep your own personal dignity and your high value of yourself. It's humbling to forgive and it's humbling to apologize. And God wants all of us to do that. So by this time, if you're like looking through this list and, you're, and I'm doing anything at all helpful for you, I've made you start to argue with these thoughts or admit some things to yourself. And some of you are not even looking up anymore. You're just kind of looking down. I haven't seen anybody elbow each other yet. It feels hard to hear this, but it's actually helpful. It's recognizing that your clothes are stained. We have a soiled wardrobe, every one of us. Uh, it's really difficult for me to stand up here and preach through those three couplets because I'm guilty of all of them in one form or another just as much as you are, and I'm up here trying to help you while I've got dirty clothes, right? And I want to give you an illustration because we're moving now to the, really the best part of the text and the best part of the insights God wants you to have today and the best part of being a Christian, on this planet before we get to heaven, okay? So the best part is coming. But here's an illustration, true, true, true to life. Um, my wife, over years, has, called, has nicknamed me Messy Marvin. Now, no, that isn't about Marvin Hepkin, okay? He's here. But it's, it's just, it rhymes with messy because I, I tend to be that way. So, and I agree with that evaluation, <laughs> And I'm going to give you a, 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 an illustration of how. I am tough on clothes. I'm tough on cars. I'm tough on everything. So uh, my wardrobe lately has been pretty messy because I've gone in. You, you know, I'll tell you as a pastor should, when you come to church, just come as you are. Whatever you, know, you can find. God doesn't care. But you don't want me to stand up here and come as I are, Right? You want me to at least dress kind of nice. I'm the pastor on duty, right? It may not be that you think I need to have a suit and tie, but some of you do, right? You want me to, to dress nice. And if I'm going to go meet with other church leaders in some big meeting and I know what the dress code is, often it's a suit and tie that I have. Well, guess what? Let me tell you what's been happening. I left one suit coat at Kohl's when I was trying on pants to go with it, and I called them. That night, I realized I hadn't 
taken the coat home and said, I left my coat in your changing room. Could you go look? And then I'll come back up there and get it. Sir, we looked. It's nowhere to be found. You don't, don't even bother to come up. Well, there goes a whole suit set, right? Because I had some pants that went with it, but I thought I'd try to mix and match, right? Well, there it goes. About a month, three months ago, I was in a rent car in a hurry, late for my flight, jumped out, got on the plane, realized I left my suit coat to a different suit in the back seat of the rent car. Have you ever tried from another city to get to lost and found at a rent car or at airlines? Forget it. I did one phone call. I got the runaround. I said, there goes another suit, right? Okay. I was on a trip for church to meet with other pastors. I have a gray suit. Some of you have seen it. And I was going to iron it. It was kind of wrinkled. I don't iron very well. I turned the iron up way too hot for this kind of material. Got a great big iron mark on the back. And some of you have seen it because I've worn it. And it's right there, right? And I thought one Sunday, I got to wear it because I can't just wear blue every Sunday for them. I got to wear a gray suit sometimes. So I, I got that, that. This is an old, old brownish suit, right? So this is a wardrobe issue, right? So with my blue ma mix and match, I bought these new blue pants about six months ago. I was eating lunch with mashed potatoes and gravy. You know where this is going. After church that Sunday, boom, on the pan. Well, I cleaned that off. No, I couldn't clean it off. Every time I pull it out, it's got a stain. Blue shirt I had for last Easter, right on Easter Sunday, big old some kind of sauce right here on the shirt. I can't get that out. That shirt's gone. You see where I'm going with this? Right? So the last time I was in Milwaukee, two weeks ago, I went to Kohl's and bought a $91 suit. Because I got a wardrobe issue, right? I'm, I got, met, all my clothes seem to be, and I'm not asking for any help. This is an illustration, okay? You can't help me anyway. Only God can do this. Here's the deal. That new suit was a replacement of all those dirty clothes because I couldn't fix them anymore. Do you see where I'm going with this? Remember that list, those three couplets? You don't fix all that stuff, and therefore God's, you're ready to go to the banquet with God. You get a new wardrobe. You get a new suit, right? And where do you first hear about a new suit being given to a Christian? It's in Galatians 3. It's not this passage, but I'm going to read this passage to you. It says, when you were baptized, you put on what? When you were baptized, it says in Galatians 3, 26, 27, you put on Christ. When you got converted, whether it was by the word first and baptism second, or baptism first and the word second, they were both converting you, you put on Christ. You put on a new suit. You are pure in your God's eyes, and you're supposed to be pure in your own eyes because Jesus, the little baby born at Christmas, he came to never soil his clothes. He never sinned spiritually, right? Never soiled his clothes. He was completely pure. And God the Father knew, if you're coming to my heavenly banquet, there's nobody that can make it on their own wardrobe, even if they bought new stuff themselves. People can't do that. Only I can. So I give you my son, and you, I clothe you, and I buy you the suit. So God bought you the suit with the blood of his son, the perfect, innocent life, put to death. And he says, 
after Christ did all of that, ascended into heaven, this passage was written. He says, now, rather than do all those dirty clothes things, he says, clothe, everybody read this with me. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Here is a, in one verse, here is a secret to dealing with temptation that so few Christians even think about. And we're supposed to. It's right there in the Word. Before you make rules for yourself about what you can and cannot do and think that's going to be the strength, before you get an accountability buddy, and you should, on, on, on keeping watch over your internet if you're not using it correctly, before all of that, put on Christ Put it on. It's purity. It's beautiful. And do not think about how to gratify the desires. Let me show you how this works with the illustration. That new suit, wore it last Sunday. Right now, keeping it really special, right? Away from the dirty ones. right? Because I don't want to think about how to what? Soil it. Because I love that new suit, right? I want that to be something that's useful for me. Well, that's a new suit in your spiritual closet, Jesus, that you'll always have. That suit I'm talking about, it's going to get Donald sometime, right? Lost, forgotten, stained, something. But Jesus, he's never stained by you. He's too powerful. Now, you can stain yourself, right? But you can always go back every day and grab the new suit called Jesus, the new clothes. You're always ready to meet the Lord if you're what? Close to Jesus, if you understand him. Now, in closing, the right attitude for every Christian when they hear these words about getting ready to meet the Lord and this idea of not trying to think about how to gratify the sins of the, 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 sins of the flesh because you love Jesus too much. You have his, you, you love purity. Let me, let, me, let me say real quickly, wanting to be pure is stronger than wanting to be gratified. God gives you that desire, uh, but wanting, wanting to be pure is stronger than wanting to be gratified. And so when you want to be pure because you love Jesus in the new garment, you're, you're, you can make decisions to not get into sin because you want to be free from it. You like being pure, purified and, and away from it. It's beautiful. It feels great. So remember that next time you're tempted. I got to get back to Jesus. And, and do this with him because I want to be pure. Okay, the right attitude is if you catch yourself, and you will, so I should say when, you catch yourself having fallen into these sins that make you not ready to meet the Lord, remember the thief on the cross. What you saw and see in that guy who got caught sinning, and it meant he was going to die for it, remember? Remember? Jesus was dying for us, but those other two guys were dying for them. And God said, it's time. You're going to come. You're going to come to heaven or hell. So get ready. You're meeting the Lord. And he got caught. So when you catch yourself red-handed and you're like that thief, the thief on the cross that had faith is a beautiful, pure example of the attitude of a Christian every day. What did he say to the other guy who was still in the dark? Don't you fear God? Now, if you were an interviewer and you went up to the thief on the cross, you wouldn't, but, and you put up your microphone and you say, are you afraid of God? He'd say, yes, I am. I'm about to face him. I'm dying, right? Yes. Would you say that's healthy? 
Yes, that's healthy. If you're caught and you catch yourself in sin and you have a little bit of anxiety about it, that's a good thing. We want little kids not to put their hand up on a burner. We want them to be afraid of that thing, right? You want to be with fear, the trust, the, the trust and fear mixed together. You want to fear God that way. Don't you fear God? We're under the same sentence as this man, but he's done nothing wrong. We're about to die. We're about to face him. Remember what Paul wrote? The day is, the night is over. The day is nearer than you think. You catch yourself in a sin. You say, oh God, I'm sorry. I know you saw that. I fear you. But what was the next thing he said? He turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, if you're trying to hide because of your guilt, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say, let's forget me, right? But he knew Jesus was his purity. So he says, Lord, remember me as my covering and cover me. Forgive me. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. You're seeing on that cross the picture of a Christian's life with Christ. You may be of your own making in a very difficult place in your life, but if you're next to Jesus, you're going to be all right. right? You might be in the throes of death, but if you're next to Jesus, you're going to be all right. You may be in terrible guilt and shame, but if you're next to Jesus, you're going to be all right because you're going to go, because you're afraid of God and you love this Jesus he sent, Lord, remember me with your grace. And if you're in this life, that's the best place to be, next to Jesus. But where are you going to be after that? Paradise. Because Jesus already remembers you, and he will remember you, and he'll always answer that prayer. So getting ready... Getting ready to meet the Lord is changing your clothes every day. It's not creating your own wardrobe. It's wearing the one that God provides. So go back to my opening illustration. Has it been too long? Do you remember what it was? What if I asked you if you wanted to go see, if you wanted to go to dinner with me Friday night to see the, the governor and his wife and all the dignitaries, right? What if... I also told you, and the governor wants you to text this code and tell you your sizes and what colors look best on you. Because on Wednesday, he's going to send somebody to your door holding the garment that he wants you to wear. You see the picture? God gives you the clothes to wear wear them. You don't go back into your wardrobe closet like mine and go, no, no, I'd rather wear this stuff. No, wear what he gave you, the purity of Christ. And live until, from Wednesday to Saturday, when the Lord Jesus comes back, live with confidence and peace and purity and power that you're ready. You're ready because of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave you his righteousness to wear. Just put it on. Enjoy the journey. Amen.